Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. The book of Acts, Acts is, the, um, is a sequel. Um, Luke writes a gospel, the gospel of Luke, tells about the earthly ministry of Jesus, right? One of the four gospels. And then Luke continues writing. And what happens after the resurrection of Jesus? How does the story play out um, after that? This uh, answers the, you know, the, the, the great question of historians, really. Uh, they've been mulling this for 2,000 years. How in the world does a um, little band of followers of Christ, there's only about 100 of them, and uh, the little band of followers of a executed, uh, someone executed as a criminal, um, how does this little band of followers um, oppressed by the, the strongest, uh, one of the strongest empires the world has ever known, the Roman Empire. Um, actually, how does Christianity break out and spread to the entire world, become the most influential faith uh, ever in the world, right? Uh, adopted by people of, of every uh, tribe, tongue, and nation all over the world. How does that happen? There's only a little handful of them. How does that happen? Well, the answer is, um, Jesus ascends and the Holy Spirit descends. And we're going to read it together. So stand up um, and we'll start in uh, Acts chapter 1 and we'll skip to Acts chapter 2 and uh, Jessica is going to start our reading. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now we're skipping to chapter 2 of the book of Acts, starting at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed, astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontia, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, Jews, proselytes, Cretans, Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, they are filled with new wine. This is the reading of God's holy word. Why don't you just bow your heads, close your eyes, and once again we pray, Spirit of the living God, the word has been read. Now would you take uh, um, and do what only you can do. Open up our minds, thrill our minds with the, the reading and understanding of it, and then press it into our hearts so that it becomes the word of life to us. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on Seven Rivers Church. We pray, amen. You may be seated, thank you, Jessica. Here's the question, are you on mission? Are you on mission or are you living aimlessly? What if I were to ask you, take a card out right now and write down the mission of your life. I want you to write it in one sentence, maybe two, and uh, I re it really heightened the moment if I said I'm gonna collect them and then I'm gonna read just assorted ones. So sign it because I, I want you to be publicly shamed. Um, you know, that'd be really interesting, wouldn't it? But what, how would you do if I said, right now, right now, take out a card and a pen and write my mission. My mission in life is to, and fill in the blank. Do you know that? Are you, are you, is the mission clarified in your mind? Do you know why you exist? Do you know why you're here? And, and, and it shouldn't be the same as everyone else's mission. I mean, specifically in your life, in your situation, what is your mission? Have you taken everything in your life and brought it under the, the, this mission so that your, um, uh, your vocation, your marriage, your parenting, your grandparenting, uh, uh, the way you deal with your neighbors in your neighborhood, um, your financial management, your recreation, your retirement, Everything comes under uh, this comprehensive mission um, for your life. Um, mission clarity. We know what that's like, right? On 9-11, uh, a couple days after, um, the President of the United States took um, that bullhorn. Remember President Bush? And he climbed up on the pile in, uh, in lower Manhattan. And, uh, and he spoke to the, through that bullhorn to the uh, firefighters and those who were laboring there, and, uh, and he made the mission for America going forward from that horrible day very clear, right? He said, number one, we're going to kill the people who did this, and number two, we're gonna do everything in our power to make sure what? Nothing like this ever happens. Again, everybody in America got that. Mission crystal clear for everybody. Then a couple weeks ago, we experienced the um, travesty of the end of, of 20 years in Afghanistan, 
And all the commentators were discussing it, and I don't just mean the, the loud blabbing um, uh, heads on, on TV cable news that I hope you never watch ever one day in your life. Um, I, I mean, thoughtful people, people who read, people who study foreign policy and, 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 and America's place in the world and, and this sort of thing. And it was fascinating because every one of them virtually would state a different reason that we were in um, Afghanistan. So I mean, where were we in Afghanistan to kill bin Laden? Where were we in Afghanistan um, to uh, punish those who assisted him and, 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 and allowed for Where were we there to prevent there ever being a safe haven for terrorists? Were we there to you know, kill the Taliban? Were we there to establish democracy? Were we there to establish an intelligence base for America to have more uh, influence in, in, in a part of the world where we sort of have no sort of base for that? Um, were we there to bring Afghanistan out of the, um, uh, out of the ancient past that sort of citizens are, are in and, and, and make them a modern? Uh, were we there for the rights of, uh, uh, turn that into a modern democracy and, and, uh, and, and, and allow for schooling for, um, uh, for um, girls and freedom for women? Uh, and you can see the complete sort of breadth of we're not even sure why we're there or what we've been doing. The loss of missional um, clarity, right? Um, you know, and sometimes there are moments in our life where we just, it becomes crystal clear for us, right? Sometimes we're just drifting. Sometimes, you know, our goal in life, you know what the goal is for most North Americans. The mission for most North Americans is personal, uh, their personal happiness, um, their personal peace. I just want to be happy, right? And some days it's not even that uh, ethereal. Some days it's just, I want a cup of coffee, right? <laughs> I, I just want to go to bed. I want to make it through this day, right? Um, we don't have any more, uh, you know, outward looking um, perspective. But sometimes something happens in, in our life that the mission becomes um, crystal clear. Um, this man right in the front row, Fernando, and you guys have come to love uh, this guy over the last week. And you know that he lost his wife to COVID, but they took two little boys into their um, house. And I can guarantee it for this brother because I've talked to him. The mission of his life became all the more clear, right? Uh, in that moment, I, God has given me these two little boys to raise. This is the mission of my life, right? I'm gonna pour everything I have. You understand, have you ever had a moment like that where you, where you get very clear missional clarity? This is what I am here um, to do. That's what's happening in the Bible. So here we have the apostles. They're going about their life. They're fishermen. They're doing their thing. Matthew's a tax collector. One day Jesus walks into their world and says, you, come with me, right? And three years together they're with him. Then suddenly he's arrested. He's, 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 he's killed as a common criminal. He resurrects from the dead and they're well aware that he's already told them that he's leaving. He's not going to continue to minister on earth. He's gone, Okay. This is what we call a pivotal moment, right? To discover what is the mission at this point. Jesus is um, exiting from the scene, a pivotal moment, in, and he's trained the remaining 11 to pick up the ball and run with it. So what is the mission, and how in the world is this inept band of disciples ever gonna accomplish it, right? You with me? What's the mission? Got a sermon outline? See if you can fill it out. Sarah, Douglas, you guys awake over there? Yeah, okay, good. Um, what's the mission? Got it? Um, let's talk about clarifying the mission. 
It's interesting, if you, if I were, if you were to ask most church-going people in America, why did Jesus come to earth, what would, what would the answer be? They would say, Jesus came to earth to die for our sins. But it's interesting, that's not what he's talking about. That's not what he talked about when he started his ministry. Matthew chapter four says that Jesus went out through all the villages of Galilee, and everywhere he went, this is the very beginning, he's chosen his disciples, he's starting his ministry, this is the first thing he's doing, and it says he went out through all the villages of Galilee and everywhere he went, he proclaimed the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Now, look at verse one uh, or verse two of Acts chapter one. We just read it, or at verse three actually. He presented himself alive. Now we're talking about the time since his um, death and resurrection. He has 40 days before he ascends to heaven. So in 40 days, this is like, I got 40 more days with you clowns, right? 40 more days to teach uh, you what this is all about. And uh, it says, Jesus presented himself alive to them by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about what? The kingdom of God. In this crucial time, this is the last chance he has to finish his training and preparation for them. He started his ministry talking about the kingdom of God. Before he goes to heaven, he's talking about the kingdom of God. And then the disciples say, we got one last shot. It's the day of the ascension. Jesus is about to go to heaven. One last shot to ask a question. And what do they ask? What does it say in verse six? So when they had come together, they asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. Do you get that? That's the mission. Um, And it's fascinating of this uh, latter sentence. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? The disciples question. John Calvin says, you could not create, uh, in, in about 10 words, more theological error in one sentence in all of the Bible, perhaps. This is a fascinating thing. Jesus has been with these guys three years, and they have no clue, right? Three years they're asking a question like um, this, and sometimes I read the passage and I think at that point Jesus said, oy vey, and just went up to heaven, you know. Uh, enough. Um, when, Lord, is this the time? They thought it was all about Israel, right? They thought this was all about a political solution, uh, that, that, that Israel would be uh, done with Rome, that, that Jesus came to liberate them from Roman domination, and that um, it, it was political and it was territorial, that Israel's bounds would uh, be like they were in the day of King David and King Solomon. They would be a powerful nation in the midst of the countries around them and that Israel would have sovereignty over them because they thought it was all about Israel. And it wasn't about Israel at all. It was to, here's, here's the mission, you ready? Jesus is the king and uh, he is inaugurating, the king is coming to the world, the creator of the coming is coming to the world to set right his creation, right? To, uh, to restore the entire creation to the flourishing that God intended. The gospel of the kingdom is that the ruling power of God has come into the world to set things right. Jesus' mission is not to restore Israel. Jesus' mission was not simply to die on the cross for our sins. We like that. In America, we like to make everything individualistic. Jesus and me. But it's not Jesus and me. It's not you having a savior for your sins. It's his restoring the entire creation to its intended order. It's his making all things new. It is so much more global and expansive and wild and wonderful, the mission of Jesus.
You with me? Um, so what happens then? What happens? Uh, um, you know, think of think of the uh, the the, um, the Apostles' Creed, right? And we say, um, um, or in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. What? On earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's our prayer. The Apostles' Creed, we say he ascended to heaven. He sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That's what happens then. Jesus declares it's about the kingdom, and then he ascends to heaven. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth. I went to seminary. I read the Bible. I study the Bible. I teach the Bible. But, you know, I have to be honest. Most of my life, I've thought of the ascension as what? It just means that Jesus left. And the way he left is he went up into the clouds and he went to heaven. That's how he exited. He walked off the stage, right? That's what the ascension means. That's not what the ascension means. Um, Think of England. Um, You know, what the ascension means is that Jesus ascended to the throne. He is enthroned. All power and authority is given to Jesus over the entire universe. He is enthroned at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That's what it means. He went up. He ascended. It's his investiture. You know, in countries that have a, a, a king or a queen like, uh, like Great Britain, right? Um, and pretty soon we could uh, uh, anticipate, although pretty soon for the last 30 years, uh, that Queen Elizabeth, someday at 120, 130, um, finally um, she'll walk out on the balcony of Buckingham Palace and Camilla will give her a hip check and she'll go over the railing and Charles will um, finally uh, be able to, ass- and, and they'll say he, Charles, what's the word they use? He, uh, he will ascend, he will ascend to the throne. It doesn't really, Charles isn't going to float up into the air, though a lot of Brits wish he would. They, they it, it, it means that he ascends to the throne. It means that he's being invested with the, uh, all the authority of, uh, of being the monarch, uh, the head of, um, of England. All authority on heaven and earth, Jesus says, has been given to me. So what's the, what is the mission? It's the seated, enthroned, ruling King Jesus has come to restore everything that mars our creation. Everything that ruins and spoils this earth. From divorce and death and disease and poverty and pandemics. He comes to make his blessings flow where'er the curse is found. So what's the mission? Got it? We're talking about missional clarity, right? Do you have missional clarity? Jesus intends to make all things new. Jesus intends the whole earth to be his garden. One day revelation tells us heaven will come down. Heaven and earth will be joined together. What's our mission in the midst of this world? Charge the darkness with the light. The light came into the world and the darkness cannot prevail with the light. This is Jesus. Wherever he goes, the devil flees. The darkness uh, is broken. The power of evil. And that's where we go in this world. Clarity on mission. Do you have it? Do you have it? Now, I got kids. They're just like your kids, trying to figure it out in this world. My, uh, my two boys uh, both work, uh, be working in Tallahassee. They work to raise money for people running for political office. You could go, ugh. Um, politics. No, you know, it's actually um, on mission. Um, the whole point of that is not just to make a lot of money, though they, could, they make money 
the point of it would be to help worthy people get elected because it's a good thing when we have worthy, uh, competent people who govern over us. We would agree with that, right? That's a worthy way. It's part of the mission, the way that God cares for creation and he cares for um, his people. My daughter-in-law in Tallahassee, she's an interior designer. That's like a God thing if I've ever heard of it. The Bible says that God looked at the, um, the, the world and it was, Genesis 1, what does it say? The world was formless and void. Think about designing. What does the designer do? They look at a space, it's formless and it's void, it's empty, and, and, and they give it design, they give it intention, they give it beauty, right? They make it to be a functional space, a beautiful space, something that lifts the spirits on mission, you understand? And she gets paid for that, right? But the aim of the life, the mission of life is not financial prosperity, right? It's to be about this um, mission. I've got a son-in-law, he's an entrepreneur um, in South Texas, helping to start, uh, working to start a whole chain of medical clinics that will change the way completely that healthcare's delivered in the Rio Grande Valley. I think they've opened three or four um, clinics now, changing the way that physicians practice, the way that uh, insurance functions, pharmacy services are provided, uh, caring for the um, deeply poor in an underserved part of the United States on mission. Now, do you think he'll make a lot of money doing that? If it's successful, he'll make a lot of money doing that. But it's not about the money. I want you to understand that. There's a mission, on mission. I've got um, two daughters whose a primary vocation is the raising of their um, children. What do you think the mission is for them? They raise children, someday they'll get married, they'll have children of their own, then children of their own, then children of their own, creating a whole cadre of people on mission, children on mission, whatever their vocation, whatever their line of work, whatever they go to do, raising their own family, starting their own churches, everywhere they go. You see what, I, see what I'm talking about? So that you're thinking about mission in every area of life and everything you do is about the mission, right? Um, you know, on flight, uh, 93, that airplane that uh, um, crashed, you know, it, when you watch all the 9-11 uh, retrospective um, stuff last weekend, you might say, why, why didn't the people on the planes that flew into the Trade Center towers, why didn't they fight back? I mean, how many people would they have saved? Why didn't they charge the cockpit? Why didn't they prevent that from happening? And every one of us knows the answer to that. What's the answer? They didn't have missional clarity, right? They didn't know what in the world was going on, right? It's only because that Flight 93 took off from Newark Airport. That's a terrorist's biggest mistake of the day. You don't go through Newark Airport if you want to get somewhere on time. And, um, and, and it got delayed. And because it was delayed, by the time they hijacked the plane, the plane turned around, everybody on that plane that was using phones to communicate to people on the ground, guess what the people on the ground were telling them? These planes aren't landing. These planes are not, you're not going, this is not gonna end well. We know what's going on now, right? So they're in the plane, they now had missional clarity. What was assigned to them to do that day? And they did it uh, for the good of our nation indeed. So you got it? You got missional clarity, does this help? Boy, it changes everything. It changes every day. It changes your whole life to wake up in the morning and say, are you kidding me? I'm engaged uh, with the king. I work for the king. So that's the next point, really, is how's the mission mobilized? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end 
of the earth? Who are the menders of all that is broken? Well, the king is and, um, and all his witnesses. You see, in an ancient world, when there was a new king, how did anybody know? How did you know there was a new king? They didn't have, um, there wasn't a puff of black smoke like at the Vatican, you know. There wasn't uh, cable news. There wasn't uh, the internet. Um, how, would, how would anybody know? There wasn't telegraph. There wasn't anything. There wasn't any way to communicate. So to tell the people in every outlying area and every province and every village everywhere, somebody had to go and they were called what? Witnesses. So when the, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. In other words, you're about to visually witness me ascending to the right hand of God. Now go tell the world. Now go tell the world. There's a new king. That's, that's our calling. That's our witness. Tell the world there's a king. Now it's interesting. I, I love it because it says the disciples just stood there and stared. And they just kind of are a picture of the church, right? <laughs> They just stood there and stared. Finally, angels have to come and said, what are you staring at? Go, go, go. You are the witnesses. And they say, you know, Jesus said to them, you're gonna go to Judea. Um, you're gonna go to Jerusalem in Judea. We can say, oh, that's right at home. That's, that's where it would be safe. Listen, they killed Jesus there, right? They're hunted. You're gonna go as witnesses to people who will kill you. And indeed, they were all killed, weren't they? as witnesses. You understand that, right? That's what happens to followers of Jesus. You shall be my witnesses. So they had to go to the very people who killed their savior, witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. That means they had to go to people they couldn't stand, right? God's gonna include Samaritans in the family? That's like Jonah, remember God told Jonah, I want you to go to where? Nineveh. Jonah said what? No. I don't love them, you shouldn't love them, and I don't wanna do eternity with Ninevites, right? So Jesus says, you're gonna be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the way to the end of the earth. We go to the world and tell them, you have a king, right? Reading a book by Michael Reeves, he, he, he tackles something really interesting in the book. He says, why Americans fear more when they have far less to fear than in other moments in the past is a question that puzzles numerous scholars. In other words, Americans take more anti-anxiety medicine than the rest of the world combined in a time of relative peace, prosperity, uh, with, uh, with better medical care. I mean, you can go on and on and on and on. So why in a time when everything's going well, I mean, we're not talking about the Great Depression. We're not, we're not talking about World War II or other in a, in a time like that, why are Americans afraid? And he says, our general state of heightened anxiety is a result of a cultural loss of God as the proper object of human fear. With society having lost God as the proper object of healthy fear, our culture is necessarily becoming ever more neurotic, indeed ever more anxious about anything and everything. In ousting God from our culture, other concerns, from personal health to the health of the planet. Doesn't that sound like the day in which we're in right now? Right? Pandemic on the one hand, um, climate change on the other hand. I mean, every day, right? Look at what's happening. Fires in California and, uh, and floods in Tennessee and oh, 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 oh. 
We've assumed, it says, an ousting God from our culture. Other concerns have assumed a divine ultimacy in our minds, and thus we feel helplessly fragile, no longer anchored. It's the power. This is a moment. This is a great moment for the church of Jesus Christ and, and for those who are uh, missionaries, those who are uh, witnesses, those who are emissaries, those who are ambassadors to walk into the world and say, do not be afraid, there is a king. We have a king. There is a God. God is on the throne. The world is not careening about out of control. And whoever's the president of the United States and whoever, whatever China's doing and whatever's happening with taxation, whether, take a deep breath. You've got a king. You've got a king. And you know what the great shame of this day is? So many people who go to church and name the name of Christ are running around with their hair on fire more than anybody else in our culture. Um, we have a king. We have a king. We're the ones that go to the world to announce God is on the throne, right? Um, he rules. He reigns. Um, the calm presence we bring to this world. So you with me? Got it? Who are we? We are um, witnesses. We're the witnesses. There is a king. Trust him. Know him. Rest in him. He's running the world. It's something I've learned, uh, in, you know, when my daughter got so sick a year ago, was it just had to come to, to a fresh realization that this is my father's world. And he, um, I really want him to run it. I do not want to run it. I can't, you know, I can't keep the maintenance on my car done, right? Um, I, I, I can't get all my bills necessarily paid on time. I can't run my own house. And I think I'm gonna run the world. I'm, I'm happy with God running the world, right? There is a king. There is a king. I'm going to rest in that. And I'm going to live in the, you know, I, I love that kind of leadership when it's offered. I love the band of brothers. But my, maybe my, maybe one, my favorite other, of course, other than the Godfather. And um, the, the um, you know, they, they did these paratroopers, easy company, 101st Airborne. They dropped them into behind the lines on D-Day is the story. True story. Americans. Richard uh, Winter, Dick Winter. Um, has to take over because their leader is, is killed in the, uh, in the airdrop. When they find themselves on the ground, the light comes up, it's D-Day is happening around them. They're behind German lines. They don't have the guns they're supposed to have. They don't have the ammo they're supposed to have. Some of their guys are dead. They didn't land in the right spot, right? It's utter confusion and chaos. And Dick Winter gathers the people together. They find a German gun emplacement. He, he tells them, you're gonna, we're going to you know, end Falad. Um, you guys are going to uh, lay down suppressing fire. You guys are going to come around and lob grenades. We're going to take out this guy. You know, he walks right into the chaos with what? Calm presence. We have a king, right? We're the people of calm presence because we belong to the king. We are the, we are the witnesses. There is a king. Got it? Did you see that? I, I love to watch his old pictures of like England when the king would go out to some um, remote area where there'd been some terrible mudslide, you know, and, uh, and, and people had been killed. When the, when the king arrives, the whole village turns out and they line the streets and they're all quiet and somber and respectful and assured the king is here. It's going to be all right, the king is here. You got it? Third then, well, how are we gonna get the power? 
I mean, that's what gets me about these guys. How is Jesus, I mean, Jesus, honestly, these guys, you work with them for three years, they, don't, they can't figure anything out. Um, and Jesus says to his team, don't do anything. Go back to Jerusalem and wait 10 days. So 40 days after the resurrection is the ascension. 10 more days is a feast in Jerusalem. It's called what? Pentecost, Penta, five, right? Like the Pentagon, um, five-sided, um, Pentecost. And uh, you know what Pentecost commemorated? It commemorated the, um, um, it commemorated um, it was the feast of the first fruits, right? So you know what the first fruits in an agrarian culture, it's so important, right? When the first fruits come, everybody can relax and enjoy and celebrate because the fruit has come onto the trees or whatever, onto the vine, and we know that a great harvest is coming. 3,000 people are converted on this day. It's the feast of the first what? Fruits. And that's just the first fruits. It could just be a little fruit budding on the tree and you celebrate the first fruits, the fruit is coming. 3,000 wasn't a great harvest. It was only the first fruits. We have almost that many members in our church in Lakanto, Florida. Pentecost. It's the first fruits. But it also is a commemoration of something else for the Jews. It was the day God came down on Mount Sinai when they were in the desert and met the people. So as Jesus says, go there and wait, and uh, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And so what happens? What does it say when the day of Pentecost arrived? They were all together, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house, and, and tongues of fire appeared and rested on each one of them. Fire, fire on top of each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in languages they'd never studied before. So let's talk about that. First thing I want you to see here is when the Holy Spirit comes, he brings the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. Because what does it say? When the people were speaking and communicating, what does verse 11, is it verse 11 tells us? What were they hearing? Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we were hearing them telling us in our own tongues the mighty works of God. The mega works of God is, is what the Bible literally says. In other words, the message they were hearing on this day of Pentecost was not, you had better shape up. You have completely uh, lost the way. You need to get it right. You need to fix your life. That's not what we were hearing. What was the message they were hearing? God has done what you could not do. It's the mega works of God. God came into the world to find you. God came into the world to rescue you. God came into the world and did it. He did it all. He did what you could not accomplish. See, that's the power of the gospel. And I can tell you for 40 years, as I learned the gospel from myself and then try to teach it to others, in the pastor's class, I sit there and I see the power of the gospel fall on people. And they start to realize, I've been trying to climb the mountain my whole life to get to God, and he came down. I don't go up. He did it. He saves. He finds. Come stand by me after church in this place. Don't stand very close, but, but and, and, and listen to what people say because they've experienced the power of God opening. I never knew it. Sometimes, I, sometimes it's a brand new person, but sometimes as people have gone here 
for 20 years. I never understood it. I never got it. I never knew that God came and got me. I don't have to go after him. He came and got me. He did it, right? Um, you know, someone told me recently, they said, my parents are very religious and their church is very strict and, they're, and they're, they're very committed and they're very into the Bible and they really know the Bible. But she said, you know what's sad is, is the sort of prevailing mood when church is over and everyone leaves is I feel like everybody just feels guilty because they're not doing enough. They need to do more. That's not the work of the Holy Spirit. The, the whole work of the Holy Spirit is people leave church amazed at the love of God that they don't deserve, they haven't merited, they shouldn't have, but my, what a savior. They leave just amazed at Jesus, not, um, not at how rotten they are. Um, you know, it's a power from outside. Do you know how we've screwed up um, our culture? How many years now, 40, 50, 60 years, the whole emphasis is you gotta love yourself. It's, it's all about, we teach little children in school, whatever problem you have, you know why you have it? You don't have enough self what? Self-esteem, self-esteem. Look inside yourself and love yourself. That's what it's about. Guess what? The power isn't in us. The power comes outside of us, on us, and it transforms us. You go to an AA meeting, they don't say, you know what your problem is? It's self-esteem. They say, what do you need? You have an addiction. You can't beat the addiction. You need a power outside of you because all your effort will never rescue you. You know it, you've tried. You've shamed yourself all these years. There's a power that comes from God, what, right? Isn't that what they say? You gotta have a higher power. You gotta have a power that's not in you. It's the power of the gospel, it's the power. Um, last night a guy came out of church and, uh, and said, uh, uh, I'm an addict but I've been clean for um, 10 months. You know, I just looked at him, I said, I want, you to, I want you to realize one thing, every person in that church tonight's an addict. We all are addicted to something other than Jesus, trying to find life, trying to fill the holes in our life, but there's a power that comes from outside of us into us that will set us free. So, 3,000 people had a train wreck um, with the grace of God that day, you got it? Okay, when the Holy Spirit comes, the power of the gospel liberates um, people. Secondly, what happens, there's a picture, a picture of a healed community, Babel reversed. You know what happened at the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament? We ended up with tribes and people groups and countries and fighting because all the languages of people were uh, mixed up and nobody could communicate anymore and uh, our neighbors became our enemies and all this conflict in the world. Guess what happens when the Holy Spirit falls? Do you know, in the villages are having their first service today and they made a massive decision before their first service that'll affect the life of that church over there forever. You know what their decision was? To have their service in English. In doing so, they've excluded almost all the world from going to church there, haven't they? We made the same decision, right? Almost 40 years ago in this church. But guess what God did in his church in, in, uh, on Pentecost? is that when the church of Jesus Christ first meets, the service is gonna be in what? Every language, all over the earth, right? Every tongue, every people. Do you know how radical that is? Do you know that in Islam, you can only practice Islam in Arabic. The, uh, the Quran cannot be translated into any other language because they believe that God only speaks Arabic. 
that Allah only speaks Arabic. And um, so if you translated the Quran, say, into Chinese, it's not the Quran. It's not the holy book. It can only be in Arabic. God's Arabic. He speaks in Arabic. That's the only way you can know Allah. Guess what? You take this book and you translate it into um, Chinese. You translate it into French. Um, you translate it into Spanish. It's the holy book, right? God speaks the language on the first day of the church in every people. It's so beautiful. Christianity is the most culturally diverse faith in history. And so Christ church is to be a model of racial and ethnic unity and harmony. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, even in Citrus County to the degree that God enables in this place, we should reflect that, right? So we're going to have people who are Filipino and people who are Thai. We're going to have um, people who are, think, think of Japanese and Koreans worshiping together, arch enemies of the past. Think of people from Honduras um, and Guatemala. Think of people from Mexico uh, and Canadians. We don't want many more Canadians. We, we, we really have enough. But um, think of, um, think of uh, people from Puerto Rico and people from Haiti and people from Cuba, right? and Native Americans, and African Americans, and Hispanic Americans, and Italian Americans, right? And Irish Americans, and Polish Americans, and they all make up this beautiful family of God. That's the world I wanna live in. That's the world that God's making. That's what the church is to reflect, right? Love each other. And last thing to say then, is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes, not just the power, and not just this picture of a healed community, but the presence uh, of God that brings a deep experience of the love of God for us in our heart. What does it say happened at Pentecost? Fire fell on them, right? Fire fell on them. What does that mean? Where's fire in the Bible? What's the symbol of fire mean? What happens when Abraham goes to God and says, you promised you would give me as many children as the stars of the sky, and I don't have one. Enough with the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. How about one? And God makes a promise to Abraham. What, what comes? A smoking fire pot, right? Remember? Passes through the pieces. What about Moses when he's been kicked out of Pharaoh's house? He's, uh, he's out in the wilderness taking care of sheep. God, this isn't what my life's about. And God comes and visited him in a what? In a bush that's on fire, a burning bush. What about the Israelites in the wilderness, out of Egypt? They're there 430 years. They're out in the wilderness. How are they going to survive? There's millions of them out there. God comes in a pillar of what? Fire. On Mount Sinai, God comes down in fire. Fire falls at Pentecost. Do you know what God's saying? I am with you. I am with you. My presence is going to be felt by you in a way you've never experienced because the Holy Spirit cooperates with your spirit and whispers to your spirit that you are children of God. Do you know the Bible says that? It says that the Holy Spirit whispers into your heart the love of God. We have an internal witness telling us all the time what our natural person says what? You're such a loser. You're worthless. You're an embarrassment to the human race. And inside the spirit says, no child, you are my beloved son. Remember the Holy Spirit falling on Jesus at his baptism, and the skies open up to say what? Not just you are my son, you are my what? 
You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit in you, when you wake up and your eyes open in the morning, is at work inside of you to say, you are not beloved this day because you're gonna go out there and work for me and accomplish great things. You're beloved because you belong to me, because I bought you. You're mine, right? And I am well pleased with you. You're my treasure. That's what happens, a deep assurance of God's love. God makes, the Holy Spirit makes this a reality for us. You know, you could have a, a dad and a, and a child walking down the road together. And it's a, it's a nice little picture, dad and, and his little boy walking together. And that, that boy's legally his son. He's legally a son. He is a son. But suppose they stop as they're walking, there's a little caterpillar in the road, and they get a leaf and they pick it up and they, and they, they talk about it together. And, and, um, and suddenly they laugh and the dad picks up the little boy and he swings him around and he, and he squeezes him. You see the little boy's arms wrap around his dad's neck, you know. And then the dad kisses him three times on the cheek. Now, is that little boy any more a son in the father's embrace than he was just walking? Is he more of a son? No, no, he was legally a son. He's still a son. But is his experience of being a son different at that moment? The experience of it? My father loves me. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And you know what? A lot of people go to church and they're legally children of God but they don't experience it. Spirit of the living God, fall on us so it would be so, right? That's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes into life, so much so that the people thought that they were drunk at Pentecost. Why did they think they were drunk? Because they were so filled with joy, they were intoxicated with this love that they had always longed for. So there's a guy on Flight 93 that crashes into um, Pennsylvania, and his name's Todd Beamer. You've heard of him, right? He went to Wheaton College. He was a Christian. He, he was the quarterback on the football team there. And, and, and as the reality taking place in our country becomes known on the plane, you know, people are calling their loved ones. Todd Beamer calls his wife, but he can't get in touch with her. So he talks to the... To the um, air phone operator and, he's, and he passes a message, tell my wife I love her, you know. Tell my wife I was thinking about her. And he clarifies what's going on in the country and he tells them we're all getting together back here and we're gonna do something. And then he asked the operator if she would pray with him, you remember that? And they pray the Lord's Prayer together. Todd Beamer, sitting there on the plane, in the, in, in the moment, imagine this, talk about calm presence, saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then if it, as if that wasn't enough, they recited Psalm 23 together, the Lord is my shepherd. He asked her to say that with him too. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. 
um, you know, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me, right? Um, you will protect me from evil. Evil will not prevail. And when they finish praying, just the beauty of this, filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing his mission, believing there's a king in charge of everything that's happening in the world, having the assurance that God's with him, he says what? Let's go. Let's roll. Seven Rivers Church. Let's roll. Amen. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Spirit of the living God, we're not just saying words. Descend on us. Spirit of the living God, break us and melt us and fill us and use us. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.